The following program is sponsored by Cleveland Right to Life and is responsible for its content. Welcome to From the Medium, a daily report from the front line of the pro-life movement, discussing two worldviews that are driving our culture in opposite directions. From the Median asks, which side of the road are you on? What direction do you want our culture to go? Tune in as we plan the route that takes us back to the culture of life. And now your host, Molly Smith. Good evening and welcome to From the Median, where we are concerned with the middle ground, not just to understand both sides of an argument, but also to awaken the consciences of those who are neutral or indifferent to this, the greatest civil rights movement of all times, the pro-life movement. Listeners, as always, wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Our guest joining us right now is a brand new guest again. We've had lots of new guests lately, and it's just wonderful to get them on the program. Lynn, Dr. Lynn Wagaman is an amazing lady. She's absolutely amazing. She's a licensed school psychologist, a teacher, and an author. She has taught at all levels of public schools as well as the graduate level where she was an adjunct instructor in the graduate school of the Citadel Military Academy in Charleston, South Carolina. She is currently the owner of Wagaman Educational Services, providing evaluation, consultations, and advocacy for children and parents. Dr. Wagaman has graduate degrees in school psychology and divergent education as well as a doctor and curriculum and instruction from Library University. She's also of three books, and we are going to be talking about one of them right now. But without any further ado, Lynn, do you mind if I call you Lynn and not doctor all the time? Oh, please do. Yes, thank you. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the program. And we had a little bit of a glitch to start with, but we were, everything's going and we're all set to go. So thank you for joining us. This is wonderful. And thank you for writing this amazing book. The book is called Standing for God in America, How Christians Can Make a Difference in Today's Society. Oh, my goodness, Lynn, do we ever need this? We do. Absolutely. So and I think the timing is just perfect for it. It is. It is. You're so right. You know, you, you, your byline here is a silent Christian is an ineffective Christian. And I love that. This is so apropos for what every morning when we wake up and we look at the news, this is the book we need to read. Don't do the news. Read the book. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, watch the news and then read the book to know how to respond. There you to go. The That's great. Absolutely <laughs> fine. You say in your book that many Christians are frustrated and confused at what's happening in our country. What do you think, Lynn, is the biggest issue for people of faith? What is the thing that's driving us all nuts? in your estimation? I believe that and if you look at what really motivates Christians to, to stand up, to speak up and say enough is enough, anything that affects our families, the, the, the basic family unit, um, our children, whether that's the gender issues that we're hearing now, whether that's education, whether that's undermining of, of what marriage is all about, we really see Christians that is kind of our line in the sand that don't cross that. You can deal, you know, you can talk about all these other things, but don't mess with my family. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where we're seeing Christians really step up and say, I'm ready to speak up now because this is, this is going too far. Um, and so I, I really feel like that has been our, um, you know, line in the sand that we absolutely will not let anyone cross. And, and, and it does bother us, whatever's affecting our children. Um, I'm a parent of four and a grandparent of four. And, you know, you mess with my family. I'm going to be that mother bear and stand up and say, you know, no, this is wrong. And, and so I think that is one thing. And then anything that undermines our religious freedoms. And so when you start to see people trying to tell us what we can and can't do, 
um, as Christians, as churches, um, I think you're going to see the Christian people really say, no, that is not right. It's not good. We are in a country that supports religious freedom. And, and you'll see people begin to stand up. Um, but if it's not those things, unfortunately, Christians don't tend to to think that it matters that much. And they're not willing to to kind of go out on that limb and, and, and speak up and, and risk being, you know, ridiculed or, or um, shunned or as we have counts, count, uh, cancel culture, you know, they're not willing to do that until it really affects home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're so right. And I think this is, I think we really saw this during the COVID uh, years and the, the COVID shutdown when, when parents suddenly realized what was going on in the school classroom. Um, we saw, you know, we, we've seen and it hasn't, it has not stopped. It has not gone, it has not got quiet either. Parents are very, right. very concerned. So I think you're absolutely right. Um, and, and, and I think it's also awoken that whole uh, need for us to be able to, to worship God, to, to to have our religious beliefs, to to know that the you know particularly Christians, particularly Christians, and right now we are seeing a huge, huge, um, uh, almost um, uh, shutdown of Catholics in in by by the administration, and and this to me, a lot of Catholics are waking up to say, oh, you know, they were all just very apathetic, apathetic about a lot of things, but now you're beginning to see people begin to push back against it. One of the things that you talk about in your book is, and I I think this is very very um, timely right now because you talk about the fact that there is a there's been a growing apathy towards the Bible. Mm-hmm. How do you? What has this got to do with our current circumstances? Well, first of all, we have to realize what the Bible is. It's not just a nice book. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's actually God's letter to his people who, that encourages us, that teaches us, that tells us what his thoughts and, and will um, are for our lives and for our circumstances. And when we realize the power that is, is in his word and the truth that is there, we should have a hunger and a thirst for that knowledge. And um, and I believe that everything that we've heard just kind of says, you know, that Bible, it's, it's an okay book, and it's got some good stuff in it, but it's really not relevant. It was written 2,000 years ago, and, you know, you don't really need that. We have all these other books, and, and mine being one of them, um, you know, that can tell us what to do. But we have to go back to the truth, and we have to go back and really know and, and understand what God's word says and, and how he wants us to live our lives because he wants to bless us. He wants to do great things for us and give us abundance, but we can't do that if we're not living according to his will mm-hmm. and according to what his word says. And so I believe if people really understood they're missing out. If you're not living according to biblical principles, you're limiting what God can do for you and, and, and how you can have a relationship with him and, and, and live that abundant life. And, and so I think we kind of aren't willing to put the work in because we don't think there's that much benefit on the other end of it. But it's not true. It is There's so much blessing that comes from knowing his word and, and, and spending time in it and studying it and recognizing it that it is as relevant today as it was yeah, 2,000 years ago when it yeah. was 
you know, Absolutely. Written. And I love that we are limiting his, his, his glory. We are limiting ourselves when we don't listen to what the, what the Bible teaches us. I mean, every single issue that we are facing, it, the answer is there in the, in those, in the beautiful words in, in our, in our biblical, um, you know, principles and in, our, in the words and the letter, as you say, to, you know, the prophets, the Old Testament, the New Testament. It just, it's, it's amazing. The Psalms, I, I'm always blown away. I do the one year Bible and have done it since 1991. A friend of mine gave mm-hmm. me that one year Bible and I've been, you know, I'm, I will be very, very honest. I mean, sometimes I don't do it for six or seven days and then I'll pick it up and do it for, you know, nonstop forever. But <laughs> it, I, I miss it. I miss it when I don't do it. It's, it, it's, you're so right. And, you know, things start to, to sort of close in because you're not living according to what, or you're not, you can't see the wood for the trees. I think that's the best way to put it. And, and I love right. what you say about that. You know, another thing that you talk about is, um, and I think these two, these two things go together that the founding, the, the, our founders proposed three distinct branches of government. And then also you say, uh, and, I, and then you answer the questions why they did that. And I want you to answer it for the, for the listeners. I also want to talk about the difference between patriotism and nationalism, which I think comes with, with that whole question. So, you know, why do we have the three branches of government? Back in our civics days, when, when we taught our children, um, our students about government, we taught them the idea of checks and balances that, you know, no one branch of government should have all the power. So our founding fathers created this checks and balances. That is true. But there's another reason they did the three branches of government. Um, in Psalms, David said, the Lord is king, the Lord is judge, and the Lord is the lawgiver. And those three titles for God, the lawgiver, that's our legislative body branch. The king is our executive branch, and our judge is the judicial branch. Our founding fathers were so grounded in biblical principles, they recognized the power of those three roles that God plays in our lives, and they wanted our uh, our governmental system to be that same type of, of structure. Three different branches, all doing different things, but working in um, unity together for the good of the country. Um, when you asked about, you mentioned about the American t- Americanism, patriotism, and nationalism. Um, I did a radio show on um, September 11th and, and was asked about this question. And I said, September 11th was a perfect example of the difference between patriotism and nationalism. Patriotism is good and healthy. It's being proud of your country, proud of what we have to offer people, proud of the, um, the culture that we have and, and, and that's all good. We have pride in our military. We have pride in our athletes when they compete in the Olympics. That is that is all very, very good. I, I fly the flag on my house, and I'm very patriotic. Nationalism, though, says our nation is superior to all nations. Other nations are inferior, and therefore we should subdue them and, and conquer them. And we saw that happen in 9-11. We saw nationalism from another country attack our country, but their nationalism that, that was so destructive raised our patriotism. Huh. Um, we didn't, you know, we don't think, I don't believe that we think of our country as being superior um, to other countries, but we do think of it as being an, a great example for other people and a land of opportunity. So you can be patriotic, but we don't want to carry it to a nationalism idea that says America is better than all countries 
and we are the only country that God can bless mm-hmm. because that is just not true. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I know that you've lived in other countries and you know God blesses other countries equally as oh, well absolutely. as does America. Absolutely. And so we don't have that right to say that we are better than other countries, but we absolutely should be um, proud of what we have accomplished as a country and be grateful to God for his blessings mm-hmm. on our country. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because one of the things I always, you know, you hear other countries talking about America, particularly the Canadians. I I lived in Canada for 13 years and the Canadians really do, and I'm not, I'm generalizing, I'm absolutely generalizing, but in a general fashion, Canadians do not like Americans. They, they just, (laughs) they just don't like us. So, but, but it was, it's a very interesting thing to see that they consider that Americans, your, your description here is very helpful because what they, what they accuse Americans of is nationalism. And, and in fact, what national, what Americans are are very patriotic. And I have said this discussion with so many people is you have no idea how humble in so many ways the American people are. Now, you know, Americans are very confident in, in the love of their country. That's the difference. They love mm-hmm. their country fiercely, mm-hmm. but they're also very humble about their country. So, you know, and, and, you know, they look, they, they absolutely, when I tell Americans that, you know, when I used to say when we first came, oh, the uh, Canadians, oh, we love Canada. We love, oh, you know, how I wish we could go to Canada. So it's, there's a very mis, there's a real misconception there. And I love the fact that you've addressed that in your book. Again, the book is called Standing for God in America, How Christians Can Make a Difference in Today's Society. And the author is Dr. Lynn S. Wagamon. So W-O-G-A-M-O-N. This will all be up on our website where you can get the book, all of that kind of stuff. We will have that there ready for you to go. And if you're listening to this in the car or on a podcast, go to the website to get all the information because we'll definitely be able to get, you'll be able to find it all there. Another good question for you, Lynn, is, um, and, and I think, these two things go together. You, you, you talk about, you, you define God's definition of a good nation. Then you also talk about biblical morality and secular morality. Talk mm-hmm. about those two things for, for the listeners. You know, we have a person that is running for president and, and has been our president who has a theme, make America great again. Well, I believe that we can't make America great unless America is good. And you can't be good unless you're godly. And so all those things all go together. And, and, you know, our God looks at a God, at a good nation as a nation that cares for its people, that is, that is a just nation, that doesn't show favoritism or partiality, um, that seeks the benefit of its, um, people. And so as we want to make sure that we are a country that are, that is seeking to do those things, um, that we do, um, have justice in our um, legal system, that we do show mercy and kindness and compassion to those who need it, and, and, and that we are a land of opportunity and support those people. Now, as far as, um, I'm not sure, I can't remember what you said. No, that's fine, that's fine. Um, what, the difference but, between the, the biblical, the um, 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 moral a biblical mor- morality and a secular morality because that's right. so that's so c- clear today in today's world in America there is definitely that dif- difference there is definitely a difference yeah. and and we have um our our morality our biblical morality is based on God's viewpoint and what he um his fundamental beliefs in 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 
what is presented in scripture. Secular morality tends to come from an individualistic perspective. Um, secular morality is what is best for me? What is best? Um, what can I do? What are my rights? And we hear that, you know, um, my, it's my right to do this. It's my right to do that. Um, and, and that's all coming from a very secular viewpoint. Secular, um, basically means it doesn't have any religious background at, um, foundation at all. And so when it's not based on any type of religious fundamental beliefs, then it's subjected to whatever man thinks. Well, we know that man is not wise. Man is sinful. We are fallible. And when you build your morality on what another person's viewpoint or on your own viewpoint or what feels right or what seems to be accepted in the day, it's going to lead you astray. It's not going to be firm and, and true and lasting. And I think that's what we see now. People are trying to do things that, that sound good, but it has no biblical foundation. And so it's not going to last. It's not going to be true. And, and it's going to lead you astray. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So true. I know I have a, a, a young, uh, young girl came to me a little while, a while back and was very upset about the fact that, you know, she's a very strong Christian and she was at the Cleveland State University here in Cleveland and she received, she was doing some sort of uh, health, health uh, elective that she had to do. And the professor has asked them to, to write down an eight page essay on their gender identity and he provides for them their gender identity with the things that they're allowed they can choose from she was so outraged and said I, you know i i can't do this i this is against everything i i believe in i'm not you know how do i deal with this and i think that's a good example of what you're talking about he's he's taking this to the to the nth degree in that no matter what you feel no matter what it's what anybody feels everybody's got to have their say everybody's got to be whatever they want to be so it, yeah. that, there's a very concrete example of the secular mentality that's that's that abounds and, it totally abounds throughout the whole of the, the country right now through western Christians are told that if we if we speak out against that, that we're not compassionate. Yes. We're not and 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 you know, we're Christians and we want to be loved and accepted and 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 we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And so we don't stand firm. We don't speak truth. And and that's what I, I just want people to know we we have to. We have to speak truth because if you don't stand for this, then those people that are speaking against what we believe, they're gonna be the only voices that are heard. And we have to be willing to to be that voice saying this is not right and 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 speak up and and it's so important that we begin to do that it's going to be extremely uncomfortable because it's not a position that we've typically put ourselves in as Christians um, but again it's a time that I think we say enough is enough and and you know, this is just not right exactly. and but we wow. have to be grounded in what the bible says exactly. so that we can make an effective argument and and we um, have that foundation and we're not just speaking our own because that's what everybody else is doing. They're speaking their own ideas. Yeah. We don't want to speak our ideas. We want to speak God's truth yeah, God's and, truth. and be armed with that. You, you've got a very sort of bold statement in your, you know, uh, uh, theme in, in your book. And that is the fact that you suggest that charity should only be for those who have no other means of support. Uh, why do you say that? <laughs> 
I am a firm believer. I agree with Paul. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you can work, <laughs> if you can work, you need to be working. And as a psychologist, we know, I know people derive their value and their worth, their self-esteem from their ability to contribute. Um, it's one of the reasons that a lot of people put off retiring because they know that when they are no longer producing and being a contributing member of society, that they're going to lose their value, their, their self-worth. And, and, and so, you know, my husband and I are getting close to retirement age and we're starting to think, you know, we don't want to be in that boat. Um, we want to keep working as long as we can. And yet as a society, we're telling people and everything that we've got going on right now in our country tells people, you know, if you don't want to work, that's okay. We'll take care of you. Yeah. Well, so that only goes so far. And so, you know, I work with children with special needs and there are tr- truly, I absolutely get it. There are people who need assistance, who need help. Um, they're single parents and they, and they can't make enough money to support their family. But let's don't just hand it to them. Let's ask them to contribute in some way, um, to, to get that assistance. Um, Paul in, in his teachings talks about how to take care of the widows and, and, you know, says if, if they truly are a widow and they have no family to support them, then absolutely the church should come alongside and, and help. But if they can work or if they have a family that can provide for them, then that should be the, the avenue that they are, are provided for. And I think as a country, if we followed that same principle, um, our country would be a lot better off. We, we don't want to reward people for not working um, because our society needs them to work. They need to work to be productive and to be um, and to have that self-esteem and that self-worth. Um, and, you know, it might not be that they can work full time. It may not be that they can work in the field that they used to work in or whatever. But let's don't let's don't let them shortchange themselves. Exactly. Let's encourage them exactly. um, and give them the tools to, to be able to be a, a productive member of our society. Absolutely. In a minute and a half, can you tell us what, as you suggest in your book, that Christians have to become change agents? How do we do that? First of all, we have to stay in God's word. We have to know what it says. And then we have to put ourselves in positions that might be uncomfortable for us, get involved in our communities, live out our faith in our homes, in our communities, in our workplace, and then ask God to open doors of opportunity um, for us to share his message. And he will. He will open up doors. We just have to be willing to say, here am I, Lord, send me and step forward in faith and in truth. And and all the time, making sure we stay in the word, because I think that's the most important, most important, you know, so, so definitely we, we've got to do that. Again, the, the book is called Standing for God in America, How Christians Can Make a Difference in Today's Society. The author is Dr. Lynn Wagaman, W-O-G-A-M-O. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us. Quickly tell us where we can get the book. You may get it. Um, it's on pre-order now through Amazon, Barnes and Noble and other outlets. You can also go to my website, lynnwagelman.com, and I have books I can send out immediately. So um, Perfect. either any of those avenues. Perfect. Thank you so much for writing this book, Lynn. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And make sure I'm one of the first interviews you do when you write your next one. Okay. I absolutely will. <laughs> thank absolutely. you so much for having me. Absolutely. God bless you lots and keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Don't go anywhere. I will be back with you right after this very short break with another world-class, inspiring guest. <laughs> 